Uh, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, we're in phase one as of Friday um, of Governor uh, Kate Brown's uh, plan, and so we're in phase one at this point. And then, secondly, uh, I think it was I think it was Friday. It might have been Thursday uh, that uh, that President Trump um, also made some type of announcement and. Uh, and the announcement saying that, that churches should be allowed to meet and, and so forth. We have no idea how that's going to affect us. We don't know how, um, uh, what that means for us in any way. We're waiting for that to play out. And so we don't really have any, uh, any way of knowing what's going to happen there until uh, we hear more. And so obviously there's been all kinds of things that have happened between uh, a lawsuit by some churches uh, and some businesses and some politicians um, against Governor Kate Brown's order, and that's kind of in limbo now. And the Supreme Court just yesterday made some uh, type of declaration about that as well. So we don't really know exactly, and and so that's that's in part we're in phase one, and that's what we're allowed to do. So right now we're allowed to have 25 people. In fact, we've always been allowed to have 25 people uh, in in one place, and so a lot of that gets taken up with the folks that are helping to make the service happen. And so, um, in any case, so we're kind of in a wait and see type uh, mode right now. Um, all of this, all of our, our whole plan is going to be communicated on the website in the coming days. We'll have a, a web address that we'll share with you soon here as we get some more information up on there. Um, and we, we kind of figure out more details as to what's going to be happening. But you, you do need to keep in mind something, and that is that this is, it, as soon as we come up with a plan, it's probably going to change. And so just, just know and understand that we want to meet as, as, as soon as we're, we're able to, but uh, we, we have to respond appropriately to uh, the government and their orders and so forth. So the live stream is going to continue even after we begin to meet. Um, we just want to say this, that those of you who are, um, are, are really uncomfortable with being around people right now, and listen, we just want to honor you, um, like no one's looking down on you. I mean, some of you have, um, you know, Im- Im- immunity issues and, and so forth, and so we just want to say, like, listen, it's okay, you can stay home, we're going to continue to live stream the service, and so you can make that decision in time with your family, your loved ones, when it's time for you to be here. And so just know uh, the live stream is going to continue. We do want to say this, that uh, we're praying for our vulnerable church members, and we want to ensure um, that, that you should stay home uh, for a while. Uh, you should stay home. You should be wearing a mask and, and things like that. And so, uh, again, we're going to continue the live stream, and so you should stay home. And uh, we just want to love you, want to care about you. We want to be in contact with you. And you should also let us know, like, hey, I'm not going to be there uh, for a little bit. I just I feel like I need to be at home right now, and that's, that's so fantastic. We'd love to continue to pray for you. Um, the, the other thing is that we're not going to act out of fear, but we're going to act out of faith. We're going to be seeking wisdom, and we're going to be proactive in what we're doing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in constant conversation with other Acts 29 pastors. Um, I'm in uh, uh, contact with other uh, Salem area pastors uh, from other churches like Salem Alliance and Salem Heights and West Salem Foursquare and Church on the Hill and some, some other churches as well. And so we're in contact uh, together and, and, and in a lot of ways in alignment with, with one another. But we're going to act out of faith, not out of, out of fear uh, together. Uh, we're going to continue to pray for wisdom and, and seeking wisdom from these, these other churches. Um, I would ask this, would you be praying for us? Um, or if you go to another church, pray for your pastor. 
pray for those of us who are in this position of needing to make this decision. Now, it's not just my decision. I'm one of the elders here at Outward Church, but I am the lead pastor. And so ultimately, uh, what, I, what I feel like and what I, what I say has a, has a lot of weight to that. But it's also you know, a, a heck of a place to be in because it's difficult to make these decisions. It's difficult to, to deal with just the different sides of the issue and, and so forth. And so I just, I just would cover your prayers, and I, I just would love it if you would be praying for us as we make decisions here moving forward. Um, we are very much looking forward to being able to, to meet together, to be able to, to worship together, all of those things. In fact, we have uh, different plans in, in different ways. I found out yesterday that we could have 25 people in this room and 25 people in that room and 25 people in that room and do live video feeds to those rooms. That sounds kind of crazy, but that's a possibility. Um, there's a possibility that we can meet outside in the parking lot um, with all of this with so- social distancing and, and so forth. Um, you know, the, the order could get knocked out by the Supreme Court or whatever the president does or, or something like that. And then we could end up doing social distancing in here, you know, using something like 50% of our capacity or something along those lines. And so uh, I, I would just say that we want to be together in person and we want to do that safely, um, and, and we want to do it in accordance with, uh, with the rules that are in place. Uh, in, in speaking with Steve Fowler, who's the lead pastor of Salem Alliance earlier this week, I was meeting with him and some other pastors on Zoom, and Steve just had four points that he shared with his church that I was like, that is so good. That guy's brilliant, by the way, and uh, I, I love what he has to say, but he shared these four points with his church. He said, uh, you're not going to like the reopening plan that the government comes up with. You may, not, you, you may not like what we come up with in response to that. You're not going to like it. Just, just, just assure yourself that you're not going to like what that reopening plan is. It's going to be slower uh, than you want it to be. Uh, that people are going to be uh, changing their mind. It may be too fast for you, but just let's just get settled with the idea that you're not going to like it. Uh, the second thing is uh, we're only going to do what's doable. And, and I would just say that those are the things that we're up against is like, what is doable? Because there's lots of restrictions and details about cleaning and things like that that are like, some of it's just not possible. And, and so we may not be able to meet because of that, but we're only going to do what's, what's doable. The, the third thing that he shared with his church was, we're only going to do what's permissible. And, and, and I would add to that, these, these are my words, I would add to that uh, for now. We're only going to do what's permissible for now. There is a time for civil disobedience. I don't believe that this is the time. Not yet. We're, we're not there. And, and what Steve added to his statement is, this is not persecution. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many of you are turning me off right now, but I, I just want to be really clear. Steve was talking about how uh, like, uh, several of his family members were missionaries in China, and he says, that's persecution. When you can go to jail, when you can die uh, because of, of what, of what you're, you're doing, that's persecution. This is not persecution, at least not just focused on the church. Not yet, not now, not here. And the character of the leader does not determine our obedience. The, the character or what we think about Governor Kate Brown or President Trump or anybody else, any other official, that does not determine our obedience to what the government has brought. Uh, that does not determine how we follow these rules. So then lastly, it's going to take a posture of selflessness and really a posture of sacrifice. 
in this situation. So I just, I want to encourage all of you to take a posture of sacrifice and selflessness as we go in here. My sermon in just a few moments is going to deal with this uh, in large part. So I really want to ask you uh, to stick with me here. But each and every one of us needs to be ready to sacrifice. And uh, I have a friend in in town here from Acts 29, so I wanted to bring him up now. His name is uh, Chris Rich, and he's a a pastor in, in Washington, uh, Marysville, Washington. Chris and I have been friends for... Stay six feet apart. Stay, yeah, there we go, there we go. yeah. Uh, we've been friends for, for quite some time. And uh, I just wanted to ask you, like, what's, what's going on in Washington at your church? How has that been? I know that's where COVID uh, began in the, the U.S., apparently, or possibly yeah. started there. So, yeah. And right nearby you in Everett, Yep. right? Yep. Yeah, so actually, I mean, we're, we're down here in Oregon because we're, uh, um, you know, uh, we heard you guys were open. Um, so you guys are at 25 people. We're at zero people. You yeah. can hang out with zero people, which is really hard because we've got six kids. So we're trying to figure out which ones <laughs> we're going to let stay at our house right now. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Washington, we, we had the first case uh, in the United States um, in, in Everett, uh, which is just um, a couple miles from where our church is at. We actually have nurses in our church that work at that hospital. And so um, we were one of the first regions, one of the first hot zones to, to shut down. Uh, so we were kind of a few weeks ahead of the rest of the country in terms of dealing with restrictions and, and what our services and gatherings look like. And so I think what's interesting about that is now we're also one of the last. So you guys, uh, we're so excited for you guys here in Oregon that, you know, you're at 25 people, might be moving to 50 here soon. Our county just told us we're not even going to apply to move to five people in the next week. So we're in for a long haul up in Washington. Um, you know, we don't know if this is going to fracture the United States, or, and so we don't know if they're going to mine the Columbia River so we can't get back. Uh, if so, I was born in Oregon. I guess we can hang out here for a while longer. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely been different because we're also in the Seattle area. So just like you guys here, you're navigating the challenges of what does our local city say, what does our state say, what does the country say, and we're, we're dealing with those same things you guys are. Yeah, what, what do you think has changed in your church and, and how you're operating as a result of COVID? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're trying to follow your guys' lead in a lot of regards. And so right away, um, you know, we, we were already recording services uh, and, and posting them later. Um, doing the live things is different. And so, I mean, I think our first week, it was like my iPhone on a tripod and really bad Wi-Fi. Uh, and, you know, I love those six viewers uh, that watched. I don't know what they were seeing or hearing. It was all spotty. And so um, we've, you know, all of a sudden become production people. Yeah. You know, and, and you guys are really blessed here uh, with great capabilities with that. And so there's a lot of churches that are trying to, to kind of catch up. And so what I, I love about uh, this season um, is that it, it's required all of us to kind of step up our game. You know, we're stepping up our game as, as parents doing homeschool. If you didn't homeschool before, uh, if you're running a business, you know, you're having to connect with people a lot of different ways. And so um, where there's kind of that meme of sitting on the couch watching Netflix and, you know, having hobbies, it's like, no, this, is, this has been an exhausting time. Yeah. Everybody's been working overtime. It's really yeah. a, a different thing. But uh, at the same time, uh, we're also seeing, uh, I think our church really rally around together. Babies are still being born. Meals are still getting delivered. Yeah. Um, you know, people are sick. They're getting prayed for. Um, you know, people are losing their jobs. GoFundMe's are happening and things like that. And, and we're supporting one another. So it's been a cool season. That's so cool. What, what's God been doing in your church as a result of this? Like, how, how has that 
How's that affected uh, what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, well, first and foremost, um, it reminds us how important we are that we are not uh, an isolated church. Yeah. So being part of Acts 29, the relationship we have with you guys here at Outward Church, uh, the other uh, churches in our network, um, we have just felt so loved and supported. So while all of us are kind of scrambling, we're also all learning from each other at the same time. Yeah. So it's really built a, a strong sense of community within the churches uh, in our city, in our county, and then of course with our, our church network with Acts 29. So that, that's number one. Number two, um, we are seeing people engage with our services, engage with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that are coming into our doors, if you will, um, that would never show up on a Sunday. Yeah. And maybe they're popping in online, or maybe you're popping in online for 20, 30 seconds, or two, three minutes trying to figure out what this is all about, and you're hearing about Jesus for the first time, or is there a place for me here? Everybody now gets to experience the uncomfortable thing of showing up to a church for the first time from the comfort of their own home. Yeah. So yeah. we're seeing non-believers, we're seeing our neighbors, we're seeing uh, uh, people who just have never even considered engaging yeah. with our church and like, hey, I'm watching your deal online during the week, um, or I'm, I'm popping in on Sunday, or hey, wow, uh, this is really cool, I'd love to gather with you guys when that happens. So, uh, you know, Paul in Philippians says that, that he's enchained and he's bound, but he says the gospel's not bound. Yeah. And so we're seeing the kingdom of God continuing to advance even in this season. And so, you know, right away we, we scrapped our sermon series. And we were going we to go through the book of Esther. If you don't know the book of Esther, um, our, our second week would have been chapter two, where Esther basically wins a really R-rated version of the TV show, The Bachelor. Yeah. Um, and we just thought, maybe not the best sermon for all the kids sitting around at home for the first time. So we just started a new series called Faith Over Fear. We hashtag that and just was like, that's going to govern everything we do uh, as we're going along. So just trying to give people hope. So we're not going through a book of the Bible. We're just kind of going through, you know, wh- where's God giving us hope in this season? And yeah. we're seeing that in some cool ways. Awesome, dude. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah, appreciate you, man. I'd high-five you, I'd hug you, but uh, we don't want to break any rules in front of everybody. But yeah, thanks for having (laughs) us. God bless. All right. All right. Hey, uh, thanks for sticking around. Let's get rolling on on the sermon. We are in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be picking it up in in verse 8 and and going from there. Um, We've been talking through the the book of 1 Peter for some time here, and it's been, uh, I think it's been a great help as we've gone through uh, quarantine and, and all of this uh, discomfort through this season. And so we're, we're picking this up again in verse 8. And it says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, 
so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So we've been in, uh, in this book for a little while. We've been talking about uh, what it looks like to, uh, it, in fact, if you look back at, at 2.13, it says, or 2.12, it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So it's saying like this whole thing is evangelistic. It is for the purpose of we want to glorify God and we want to allow other people to glorify God uh, when Jesus returns and that they would, they would come to a saving faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And so that's the, the purpose behind it. And so then he begins to say, here's how you should begin to have good deeds. This is what that should look like. And so he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So he's basically saying, hey, good or bad, whatever leaders you have, you should follow them. Good or bad wives, you should uh, respect your husbands. Uh, good or bad, whether you have a good boss or a bad boss, like you should obey your boss. Uh, and this doesn't mean that you should sin against God in the midst of that or allow yourself to be physically abused, but it does mean this, that we have a responsibility to be subject to these governing authorities. And so he's going through this, and then he says, likewise, husbands... Uh, live with your wives in an understanding way. And so he's speaking to them and he's saying, here's how you should be doing good deeds. And then he says, finally, this is the last way that I'm, I'm telling you. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And so he begins to tell them, hey, this is what it looks like. This is, this is what it means to be somebody who's glorifying God with their life. And what I really believe this passage is about is that community causes suffering. Community causes suffering. Like, if you're going to be in community with people, like, you are going to experience suffering. And this whole passage has been talking about suffering for the sake of Christ, suffering for the sake of other people. But there's this incredible benefit that, that comes as a result of that. See, uh, community causes suffering, but suffering also causes community. We kind of know this to be true. I don't know if you've ever watched Band of Brothers or a show that's similar to that. These war stories, these guys who are literally in the trenches together and they become incredible friends. They become very, very close. I don't know if you have a, a, a brother, a friend like I do in, in Chris Rich who was just up here. And I don't know if you've, uh, you've gone through some difficult stuff. Chris and I have, have been through some difficult stuff. And in the end, we're closer than we've ever been. We've suffered together. We've suffered for one another. I don't know what your, uh, what your relationships are like, but oftentimes in today's world, people are so avoidant of suffering for the sake of someone else. And that is why our world is becoming more and more polarized that's why, you know, before COVID, it just seemed like our world continues to keep taking, we, we continue to back into our corners, whether it's right wing or left wing or whatever it is, that, the, the thing that you're behind, the, the politician that you love or, or what have you, like we, we were so separated and then COVID happened and it's like we all are in this together. I mean, I had a neighbor that has a giant piece of plywood that had painted on there together. And I think it says something else now, like I'm done with this or something along those lines. But it said together. There's lots of people who are saying together. 
we're suffering in this together. And there was this sense of, man, maybe this is going to be our World War II that brings us together, that rallies the nation together, that we've suffered together, and we've, you know, gone arm in arm with other people who believe differently than us, and, and we've come together to make things happen and to serve other people and things like that. But in recent days, I don't know if you can think of any, any way or any reason why we might be coming more separated. I mean, just in our community in general, people are becoming more and more separated. But then uh, on top of that, we have inside of the Christian community, we have people who are becoming more and more separated. There's, I, I mean, I, I see people who are critical of the, the local church. People who aren't pastors, who are railing on uh, local pastors saying, you're not standing up for your rights. And it's so interesting to me because those people don't, aren't dealing with the liabilities that those of us who lead churches are dealing with. The, the, the things that could happen, like they have no idea. They're not able to see the suffering that we're going through. They're not able to sympathize with that. And there's the other way. There's, there's those of us who, who have no sympathy for people who are, who are uh, fearful and afraid of, of, of the virus. There's people who are criticizing other people who are willing to just go out and meet and just say, this, this whole thing is fake. Can you think why our community might be becoming more separated and how important this passage is for us this morning? It's incredibly important. It's incredibly important for me, and not just in our, our world and in our community, but it's also important for our marriages. It's important for us to suffer together for one another, but too often we're unwilling to suffer for one another, and we think, you know what, that's community. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I want. I want people that don't rub me the wrong way. It happens in, in our churches. It happens in our community groups when we say, you know what, I don't really want to hang out with those people because then I'd have to sacrifice on some level. I'd have to sacrifice for other people. And so why does our church seem so disconnected? Why is it that people who have been church attenders for many, many years can come in and out the doors with very little relationship with other people? They've spent very little relational capital, and it's because they or we refuse to suffer for one another. And so this is call, calling us to suffer for one another because uh, the, the reality is that if you're going to be in community, you're going to experience suffering because community causes suffering. That is part of the gig. That's part of the deal. So look at this with me. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. The word there means have the same mind. It doesn't mean that there's going to be uniformity, but it means that there's unanimity. It means that we're together in something. We're, we're a part of this together. We're of one mind. We should have the mind of Christ. This happens in marriages oftentimes when you have two competing uh, sides in a marriage. And instead of both of them looking to Christ and being aligned with Christ and their minds coming together in Christ, too often you just have two minds that are going at each other like this to the point where there's only disunity in a marriage. There's only disunity because neither of them, or at least one of them, does not have the mind of Christ. And it doesn't mean that you're perfect in that. It means that you have the mind that Christ had, which was he was willing to suffer for a community. And so it says, have the same mind, sympathy, which literally means to feel with others. 
to feel their feelings. I, 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 I think it is, it is in, in, incredible in our culture today the fact that we are so numb to the feelings of other people. We're so numb to it because it's so easy to say something about some, somebody when they're not in front of you. You can criticize people on, on Facebook when, when somebody's not there. You can rail against uh, Governor Kate Brown or President Trump, and you could do that and, and say, I, you know, they're, they're a terrible person, they only want the worst for us, whatever it is. But there's, there's not this idea of like, have we felt the feelings that these political leaders are going through? Have we felt the feelings of what our spouse is going through? Have we felt the feelings of what the people who are really scared are going through? They're really afraid of death. They're really scared. And they may have really great reason, but we're not feeling with them. The, a brotherly love. And this is really primarily talking to Christians. And it's, it's, it's talking about this idea of, do we love our community of faith? Do we love the, our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we love the people that are not in the same age uh, stage as we are, the same generation? Do we love the people that are willing to meet together when we're not ready? Do we love the people who are not willing to meet together uh, when we're ready? Brotherly love and a tender heart. Think about the opposite of that. A tender heart would be a hard heart towards other people. It'd be a hard heart towards, towards people and not having any compassion for them. It would, it would be not having compassion on what's going on with them. It's, it's having a hard heart and saying, I am not going to give in to this person and, and what they need and what they feel. Do you have a tender heart towards, towards other people in the church? Do you have a tender heart towards your, your spouse? Do you have a tender heart towards, towards people that you disagree with? I don't know. I would say this. I think it's incredibly difficult. And then the last thing there in that verse is, is a humble mind. I, I, I need to say that, so you read an article, or you watched a video, and now you know what's true. And I just have to say, like, I don't even know how you can arrive at that conclusion. Because I don't know that anybody knows. I, either for or against, whatever it is. I don't know that anybody knows. But there, there's this thing in, a, in, a, in, a, in American uh, society that says, I, I, I read something and so now I know. And so instead of having a humble mind, we have a proud mind. We have, a, we have a, a, a mind that does not have a realistic estimation of itself. That we are not God. That, that, we, that we don't really understand all mysteries. That we really do not understand where and how this virus is, is being spread. And I'm not saying anything for or against right this moment. I'm just saying that all of us could use a large dose of humility right now. Everybody in the Christian community, everybody in society, we all need humble minds to be able to come together. And so this is what he's, he's bringing to us. Now, one, one clarification is this. Scott McKnight says this. He says, truth is not sacrificed on the altar of harmony. 
Truth is not sacrificed on the altar of harmony. Now, there are moments to bring uh, disunity, and that is we cannot be unified based on your position on who Jesus Christ uh, isn't, uh, that Jesus is not God or or whatever. We're we're not going to be unified in that. It doesn't mean that we're going to fight. It just means there's no unity in that statement. We don't have unity for the sake of unity. We have unity for the sake of, for the sake of Christ. He says, truth is not sacrificed on the altar of harmony, but personal feelings belong on that altar. Our personal feelings about each other and about this situation belong on that altar. And I, I just got to tell you that, like, I, I don't think this is done enough I don't think it's done enough in our church. I, I, I don't think it's done enough in the church in, in America. I mean, just, just way too much consumerism. I, I think that's one of the greatest things that's happened as a result of, uh, of COVID is that we have to be uncomfortable. This level of sacrifice that, that needs to happen. Like if we're going to be Christians in this community, it means we're going to sacrifice. And I think maybe for the first time in a lot of ways, we're finally showing our community like, hey, we care about you. Hey, we care about what you're going through. We care about uh, the, the circumstances of your life. And so here we have, now, now finally we're suffering for one another. And now finally there can be community. There can be this community that's happening between us. But we have resisted that far too frequently. We've resisted it far too frequently. And as a result, there's... There, there, there's nothing about our lives that says anything different about us. Like if we can just sit and just trash talk somebody, anybody, any person, any human being, regardless of whether they're a, a, uh, an elected official or not. I mean, there are true things that we can say for sure. I have opinions really on both sides. There's true things that we could say, but Christians, we have got to do better. We have got to be willing to sacrifice for other people. Because community causes suffering. If we're going to be together, community causes suffering. But suffering with other people also causes community. When we suffer for other people and we deal with, we're not responding angrily to them. In fact, I'm going, I'm going on here. Verse nine, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this, you were called that you may obtain a blessing. I mean, that says several things that are are really incredible. And that is don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. I, I mean, it's just, it's just really clear. It's just really clear that uh, honestly, if your viewpoint is that this whole uh, shutdown, this whole quarantine is evil, we, we could say that. We, it's okay to say that on some level, kindly. But our response cannot be to respond with evil. It has to be to respond with suffering. Why? Because for uh, for to this, you were called. He uses this, the same statement in chapter 2, verse 21. He uses the same statement, which is, for to this, you were called. Because Christ also suffered for you. You were called to this. You and I, as Christians, are called to suffer for other people. 
And in response to evil, in response to reviling, in response to an angry post, in response to whatever it is that somebody says about your belief system, about what you think about COVID or whatever, we are to bless. Why? Because Jesus blessed us. Christians, come on. I mean, we have got to get this right. We've got to get this right because this is a hallmark of who we are. It is that we would respond with blessing in the midst of cursing. It's that we would respond with love even though there's hatred. It's that we would respond to other people um, caring about them. It's that we, we would respond with sacrifice. At, you know, on some level, I hate that. I mean, I'll just be honest. I, because I got to play that out in my own, my own life, my own marriage, my own kids, my staff, my, you know, my community, my neighbor. Because it is suffering. I mean, don't you feel like you're suffering a little bit when you can't punch somebody back? When you can't uh, get your neighbor back for what they're doing to you or how, how, they, how they respond to you? There's suffering that happens in your life because community causes suffering, but when you're willing to suffer for other people, suffering also causes community. It also causes incredible community. And it says that you may obtain a blessing. Now, this is not to say that like if you suffer for other people, then you receive a blessing. This is saying that our works matter post-conversion. Before we know Jesus, you, you cannot do enough works in order for Jesus to accept you. Before you know Jesus, before you have faith in God through Jesus Christ, you cannot do enough works. And in fact, if you try to get to God by doing good works, by blessing other people, by, by being a nice person, some of you out there, you've never received Jesus Christ as Savior. You've heard everything that I've said up until this point. You're like, hey, I'm in because I, I don't respond like that. You might be a very nice person. You might be nicer than I am. But here's the thing. You cannot get to God through your good works, and that does not make you acceptable to him. The only work that God accepts is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when we come to a point where we say, even in the midst of all of my good works, I am still lost. I'm still a sinner. I'm detestable to God without Jesus Christ. And so I will receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And as a result of that, now I am in his good graces, if you will. So you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, but it's not as though God is saying, all right, I did all the good works, and now uh, I'm not asking anything of you. No, this is, this is saying, yes, as a Christian who has received the grace of God, I'm asking you to respond in blessing, to uh, reenact the gospel, reenact what Jesus has done for you in all of your relationships. In every part of your life, I'm asking you to relate the gospel to other people. So he says, I want you to bless others that you may obtain a blessing. See, we're, we were blessed in order to be a blessing. We have been blessed by God in order to be a blessing to others. And ultimately, what's this talking about? Is it talking about a future blessing? 
Is it talking about a blessing right here and right now? I think both are true. I think that there can be blessing in this life. I don't think it guarantees that you're going to have blessing in this life. But it also depends on what, what you really want to get out of this life. Is, are all of your goods and all, all of your time, and all, is your life devoted to Christ? What's the blessing if everything in your life is devoted to Christ? The blessing is this, is that when I suffer for others, others might come to faith. So when you're committed to Christ... What wouldn't you give in order for your friend, your neighbor, your family member, your community to come to faith? What would you give up? What would you give up? Would you give up your rights? Would you give up your freedom? Would you be willing to go to jail? Would you be willing to lose your home? Would you be willing to lose your job? If just people would come to faith, because that's ultimately what it's talking about. What's the blessing? It might be that other people get blessing. While you deal with suffering, while you deal with suffering, see, community causes suffering, but suffering also causes community. It causes eternal community with others that you may receive a blessing. That's a theme throughout in the, the book of First Peter. Paul talks about it uh, as well. That our, our works are going to matter. We're, we're going to be judged on our works in the future. They don't save us, but they're going to be recognized. And we must think about that. We, have, we don't talk about that enough. We talk about the gospel. We don't talk about what the gospel saves us to. That the gospel saves us so that we can be a blessing. The blessing of the gospel is so that we can be a blessing to other people. He then says this. He's kind of proving his point here, Peter. In verse 10, he says, he's quoting from Psalm uh, uh, 34. And he says, take for instance, this Old Testament passage For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, I don't believe that that says in any way that you lose your salvation. If you're you're a a Christian and you have uh, unintentionally or even intentionally uh, done evil towards someone, but it's saying this, it's saying, God sees you. God sees your stuff. God, and I don't think it's like, you better watch out, God is watching you. I think it's saying this, hey, God is looking on He's looking at your life. He's seeing what you're doing. He's, he knows what's happening in your world. I mean, some of us need to get real with the reality that like God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. He can see everything. He's all-powerful. And he sees the way that we are responding in life. He sees how we're responding to our neighbors. And especially in an Old Testament sense, he's saying, my face is against those who do evil. Why would you persist in doing evil? Trash talking other people, not showing sympathy, having no compassion for your neighbors, spouting off all kinds of vitriol, whatever it is. And I don't think probably most of us are doing this in a really forward way. I think most of this is pretty under the radar, but even just our feelings, even just the way that we feel about it, how do we have sympathy? How do we have compassion? Because God has had compassion on us, and he 
sees what's going on in our lives. He says, now to uh, whom is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? He's saying, you know, most of the time, this isn't true all the time, but most of the time, no one's going to harm you when you're doing what's right. When you're a a law-abiding citizen. Most of the time, that's not going to happen. That's not always true, but most of the time. He says, verse 14, he kind of shows the other side. He says, but let's just say you do suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Like there's a blessing that comes as a result. Uh, look, Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I, I mean, even if you do suffer for doing righteousness, Jesus himself says, you are blessed because you're, you're, the way that you're responding is for the sake of righteousness. It's not for the sake of anything that you get out of it. It's not for the sake of anything else. It's for righteousness sake. And when you do things as a result of righteousness sake, for the sake of Christ, what happens is this, is that you are blessed. You are blessed. And he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. He says, don't fear the people that are bringing about suffering. Don't fear what's going on with them. Don't be troubled by what's happening there. He's saying this, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. to, To fear those people that would do you harm because you are doing righteousness is to uphold them as holy, to fear them instead of fearing God. To, to, to respond in that way is to say that, like, really, Christ, you are not holy, but all of these other situations are holy. All of these other situations are set apart. All of these other things are ruler over me. But he says, no, listen, don't fear them. Don't be troubled by them. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That he is the one that's holy. He is the one that is to be feared. And he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, this is a favorite verse. I've heard this quoted many, many times. And oftentimes when people quote it, they leave off the gentleness and respect at least. But when they, they oftentimes just quote, always be prepared uh, to give an answer or to make a defense, period. But it's always be prepared to make a defense, to give an answer, to respond to anyone who opposes you? No. To anyone who has a different viewpoint than you? To anyone who hates God? To anyone who whatever? No. This, this, is, this is assuming that people are looking at your life. They're looking at your life and they see that instead of reviling in answer to reviling, instead of giving evil for evil, instead of responding with hatred, instead of making that post on Facebook, whatever it is, <clears throat> instead of that, you are not responding in that way, but you're willing to suffer. I've seen this happen 
in marriages. When, when one spouse is willing to suffer for the other one, when one spouse, especially the husband, when the husband lays down his rights and he says, I'm willing to suffer for the sake of my spouse, that is when you have the opportunity for great things to happen. That there's a hope that's in you that is not rooted in whether you win the argument. It's not rooted in whether you get what you want. It's not rooted in whether you have great comfort. It's not rooted in anything. It's just sheer ability to suffer for the sake of Christ, for righteousness sake. It's sheer just like, I'm going to suffer for you. And what people see as a result of that is hope. Because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope's not in my circumstances. Hey guys, I have, dude, I get so ticked about this stuff with the, the closures. It frustrates me. I told you a few weeks ago that like, man, it is frustrating for me to submit to the government it's frustrating. And I'm focusing and I read these articles and I'm like, how dare they, you know, make us close. And some of you don't feel that way. And I, I honor you. I respect you. But I'm just, I'm just being honest right now that like, man, there are just times that I'm so frustrated. And then I just have to realize that like my hope cannot be in when things are back to normal. It can't be. I can't have hope in having people sitting here in front of me. My hope can't be in whether the government says this or that or the other thing. My hope can't be in whether you like my sermon. My hope can't be in anything like that. My hope has to be in the Christ whom is holy. My hope has to be in him. It can't be in anything else. And guys, my anxieties and my emotions go up and down as I am like putting my hope in other things. And I'm, and I'm thinking about all these years. And you know what the best thing that I do is I stop reading articles. I stop listening to people that infuriate me. Just stop reading it. Just stop going on Facebook. Just like, just stop. And just see Christ suffering for you and for me. He says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone. And that, that may be an apologetic argument, an argument in defense of the gospel. It may or may not be, but it may just be that you just sat silently and you suffered faithfully. And that that would show a hope in your life. That you have a deep hope in Christ and not in your circumstances. He says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And guys, that is the thing that just gets lopped off of that verse. It's like that semicolon right before yet is like, oh, 
We'll just stop the verse there. Uh, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Can I ask you something? Are you responding with gentleness and respect? I got to tell you, this is just turning into a big confessional of uh, Pastor Matt Porter here, but I got to tell you, I have been so bad at this. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even making this up. Like, some of you are like, oh really? You're not making jokes about this right now? Um, because I have not been a gentle person. And honestly, it's been one of the hardest battles that I've had to fight in my church. It's, it's what I've had to fight in, in my marriage. It's what I've had to fight with my kids. And I even relate to it as a battle that I'm fighting. I'm just not a gentle guy uh, all the time. But this whole idea of gentleness and respect. The, for, 2 Timothy 2.24 through 26 is a verse that really convicted me. Let me read it for you here. It says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a uh, knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, devil after being captured by him to do his will. I mean, the whole thing is that, like, I have been really, uh, uh, really passionate about speaking truth. I wasn't passionate about speaking that with gentleness. I wasn't passionate about speaking that with kindness all the time. I wasn't passionate about not being quarrelsome or kind to everyone. There were situations in my life where I would just be dealing with someone and I would, and I would honestly say to myself, they're not a part of the church. Why do I care if I yell at the, the gal on the other end of the line that's, you know, with Comcast or what, whatever place it was that I was, that I was frustrated with? I, I, I wasn't kind to everyone. And I'm like, man, the Lord's servant, I mean, that's really anybody who's a Christian. It's especially the guy who preaches on Sunday mornings. It's especially me. And I didn't patiently endure evil. I saw evil and I wanted to call it out, but I didn't do it with gentleness and respect. I didn't do it in that way. And men and women, I, I need to say this. We as a church, must be people who are deeply committed to the idea that to this you and I were called, and that we go into community knowing that it causes suffering, that we're not leaving a community group or not joining community group because, or, or setting aside community because it causes suffering. Because of this, because suffering also causes community. When we suffer together, we grow together. We grow as a people that are about the things of God. And this is what shows that we love Jesus. Jesus says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. John 13, 35. Jesus says that. We love one another even in the midst of suffering for, for one another. We suffer in churches that don't always do the thing that we wish that they would do. We suffer through songs that we don't really like uh, on Sunday morning. We suffer by giving of our, our finances. 
to God and to other people who need that. We suffer together. We are a suffering community. That is what we are. And to say that I refuse to suffer for other people is to negate the faith that you claim. It's to say, I don't believe what Jesus says. It's to, it's to not uphold Christ as holy. It's to say a lie about the God that I serve. It's lying about the God that I, that I have been created in his image. It's lying. It's saying that this is what the new creation looks like. Somebody who's opinionated, who doesn't respond with gentleness and respect, who has no sympathy for people or whatever. It's lying about God. And so he goes on and he says, having a good conscience. That means you got a clear mind about the fact that like, when you respond to people, you're responding with grace so that when you are slandered, when you're lied about, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It hurts in the moment to not respond with hatred. But there will come a day. It may not be in this life. It may be in the life to come where you, there's satisfaction. I did what was right and they will be put to shame someday. It may not happen in my, in my eyesight, which I really want to see people suffer in my eyesight that have done me wrong. I'll just be honest about that. And I hope uh, often, I, I mean, there's imprecatory prayers. I mean, read Psalm and like break the teeth of my enemies, things like that. Love those verses. as like my life verse. I'd put it on a coffee cup if I could, you know, whatever. But, but I mean, that's a real thing. I want that to happen, but that's probably a sinful desire. But anyway, uh, we'll keep going here. He says, so that when you're, you're slandered, those who revile you will be put to shame. Man, live uprightly so that when people respond to you with reviling, when people slander you, when they lie about you, your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope's not in what you think of me. My hope's not in what you do to me. And I got to tell you, this is much easier said than done. I'll be honest about that. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. It's just really simple. Guys, let's, let's suffer for doing good. That's hard for me to hear. That's hard for me to deal with. But let's suffer for doing good. And we're going to preach on this next week, but I just wanted to give you this phrase that comes right afterwards in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Christ suffered for your sins on that cross. This is gospel embodiment it is responding in in faith the way that we respond in faith every day is we say because christ suffered for me i also will suffer for others see christ fully goes to the cross he fully goes to the cross he comes and he lives in community with us before the cross, he comes and he takes on flesh. God incarnate. God in flesh. 
God comes and it's, he lives in community with us and it, it causes suffering in his life. He suffers just by even coming here. You take God Almighty himself, the Son of God, all-powerful God, comes as a helpless baby and he takes on vulnerability, extreme vulnerability, the most vulnerable that you could possibly be. Jesus was that. But then he lives a perfect life and he just he doesn't just suffer in community, he suffers to create a community. Men and women, he suffered to create this body, the people of Outward Church. He suffered to create this church. He suffered for you on the cross. And I don't know if you're watching here right now and like you've never received Jesus Christ as Savior. You don't know what that means. You don't know, you don't know what it means. But I need to tell you that Jesus Christ, a, a real historical figure, is God. God came to earth. God came to earth and he went to the cross. All of the stuff that you feel shame about, all of the stuff that you know that wasn't right in your life, all of that sense of, I don't feel like I'm right with this creator. I'm not even sure I believe in a creator, but I'm not even sure I'm right. Jesus went to the cross and he died. He was crucified for you and for me. And you can receive his suffering. You can receive his suffering that enables you to be a part of his community, his body, which is called the church. He suffered so that you could be a part of that. And the only thing that must be there is faith in that reality. You must believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh that went to the cross for your sins. You must repent of your sin. Acknowledge, say the same thing about your sin and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your Savior cannot be your job, your relationships, drugs, alcohol, sex, money, power, whatever it is. It cannot be anything else. It can't be a vaccine. It can't be social distancing. It can't be you getting back to normal life. Your Savior must be Jesus Christ. Receive him today. And for those of you believers that are watching here this morning, expect suffering in this community, this church. To do anything else is to negate what Jesus went to the cross for. But let's be a band of brothers that are willing to suffer together because suffering also causes deep community to take place. And I think we've got a lot of work to do in that area, including myself. So I want to invite the band forward as we go to uh, communion here. So if you're here with us this morning and you, you have some communion elements uh, right there, it just takes some bread, a cracker, a chip, anything like that. It's, we're acknowledging it. It's an example of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we come together for communion and we say to Jesus, we thank you for going to the cross. We're acknowledging what you've done for us on the cross. We acknowledge how you served us there. 
And so in the midst of preparing for communion, we begin to think about, I don't know what you've been convicted of this morning. Might have been something that you said. Maybe it's something you said to your, your, your wife or a friend or something you posted on Facebook. And you need to go to God first and you need to say, I repent of this and I see that you went to the cross for that sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for that sin. But then secondly, I want to encourage you after communion, maybe even before communion, that you would go to your brother, your sister in Christ, and you would apologize to that. Maybe you need to make a post and just say, hey, I've been a jerk online. Maybe you need to send a private message to someone that says, hey, man, I'm sorry that I said that about you. Maybe you just need to confess online, like, hey, I've been living as a Christian because I have not been willing to suffer in the midst of this quarantine. I've been, I've been rude towards people that want to start meeting together, whatever it is. But that's what we do. We're acknowledging our sin before Jesus Christ. And we're saying, thank you for going to the cross for that sin. So with that in mind, let's thank Jesus for his body broken on the cross for us as we partake of the bread. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for going to the cross for our sins. We thank you so much that you took the penalty, that you took it all on the cross. Lord, we thank you for the pain that you went through for uh, the, the, the whipping that you endured, for, for everything, for the, the shame of it. Lord, we thank you that you endured it in our place. And Lord, I pray that we would live our lives suffering for the rest of our lives here on earth for your name's sake. It's in your name. Let's partake of the, the blood. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was spilled that covers all of my sins. Lord, I thank you so much that you bled and died uh, in our place for our sins. Lord, I thank you so much for this. And Lord, for those of us that are sitting here and just saying, I don't feel it. Lord, our, our faith isn't dependent on our feelings. But Lord, we do love it when we have a deep sense of your gospel, a deep sense of gratitude for you. So Lord, bring that to our our hearts. Allow us to see that you love us even in the midst of our ability to feel it. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.